Man, talk about hating your hometown. I didn't. I never heard him call it that. That's pretty funny. Oh yeah, the the dudes from Slipknot were like, "Yeah, we're from Dead Bones, Iowa. Nothing good ever happens there." And I'm like, "Well, I mean, you guys are pretty cool, <laughs> <laughs> right?" There's uh, there's, there's eight angry called. guys that all want to make noise together, and it kind of sounds cool. Dude, Slipknot was like a, just a whole new thing. They, like, one, they, oh, yeah. they had like three percussionists. One of their one of their percussionists was just a dude who banged on barrels with a mic stand. Yeah, and like, then the one would jerk his nose off. It was a pig. I don't know. I just, I just yeah, know their yeah, first, their first, um, their first look. Because once they change their looks, I don't know who's who anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, same. I was uh, my brother actually, oddly enough, was a big like Slipknot fan, and he would wear the shirts, and he was just like the the chubby guy with the Slipknot shirt at every school. Has, yeah, right? Is so that me? Are you talking about me? <laughs> right. No, no. I, mean, I, I was the chub- I was the chubby new metal guy before my brother. Okay. I was into like like you know new metal like Nothing Face and like you know Mudvayne and shit. Like I was into that. I passed that love on. I think to my brother, and we both got into like metalcore, like hardcore punk around like two thousand. And then we just kind of he became kind of pretty cool and hipster music guy. And uh, I just I like all kinds of shit now. Yeah, I do too. But I definitely nothing for me like is better than like the rap rock, like the Lincoln Park and the uh, oh, Hollywood okay. Un- the Hollywood Undead, the Limp Biscuit, like that style. I just love it. You might, I don't know, are you might be, I don't know if we're the same age or not. Do you remember a band called Candiria? No, I don't. Okay, so they were like uh, Candiria or Candiria. I never knew how to pronounce it, but they were like the lead singer was this black dude named Carly Coma, but they were like from New York. Then they were rap and metal, and they were fucking great. And they were like one of the best versions of those two genres that I'd ever seen, just like crush it. And they be, kind of became famous because they were in a really bad car accident. And then their next album cover was their fucking totaled van. Oh, wow. It was sick. And like, if you actually, I forget the name of the album, but if you look up um, that that record, like that's the one that really broke them out into like the, and they played bigger venues and shit like that, but that was one of the bands that would come through North Carolina a bunch. So we would always try to like, you know, at that point you're kind of like, I, dude, I remember me and my high school girlfriend one time, we went and donated plasma just for money to go to a fucking show. And we each got like 30 bucks and it was enough to put gas in the car. And she wanted a shirt from like one of the bands that was playing and we got tickets to get in. It was like exactly 60 bucks. To drive to Charlotte and back. Like, it was degenerate, like, broke high school shit. Wow, wow. It's not even yeah. 60 bucks in gas anymore. Oh, no, this is like, yeah, this is like... <laughs> I'm, I'm no, 40, I know, but these so days, fuck. You need 60 like bucks to get tank. there. Oh, for sure. 60, it's a joke. Like, my fiancé and I now, like, even... We live in L.A., but we're in San Pedro. But even just to go to the comedy store, with all the bells and whistles... If you Uber to and from, it's like two hundred and fifty bucks. Holy wow! Crap. Like you mean yeah, to for perform us, or to like go well, to go no, as an audience? An Uber to get there is like for us for Pedro like sixty to eighty bucks, and then then you get there, it's like twenty bucks to park in the parking deck right by the store. Then it's two drink minimum. PBR is fourteen bucks. Wow! So that's there's two of us, and then let's Did say, you say a PBR is fourteen dollars. Fourteen dollars for a tall boy dog. Yeah, for a yeah, glass for of water, sure. shit. For a glass of water, I think it's also like four bucks for a water bottle. Nice. I don't think you got my joke, but <laughs> no, no, no wait, I stepped on it. What'd you say? No, because I just called PBR water. 
no it's good though you know what uh there's this bar that i used to go to a lot i won't say the name of it but the bartender she's super cool and one time i was at the bar and i go hey can i get a pbr and a water and she goes oh so two waters okay (laughs) that's actually really funny i actually i it's i hate that i stepped on it because it's funny and i'm gonna actually use that from now on nice oh yeah because that's my go-to beer like just like that's my shitty dive bar beer I agree. Yeah, I, I'll PBR. drink a PBR. Either hydration. My shitty go-to's are either a PBR or eight hundred five. Okay, eight hundred five is popular is down here. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, I I didn't see that until I moved out here, and uh, every bar that I've been to has it like on draft. Like, yeah, off-gate. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to give it a whirl. Dang, I thought it was fancy. It's fancy. I thought it was fancy. I mean, Miller Highlights. I consider Miller like, like a solid craft beer. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I guess 805 yeah. is fancy. I don't know. I don't think it's like, because it's not a craft beer, so it's not fancy. I Wait, I thought it was. <laughs> Isn't 805 just like their, that was their take on craft beers, I thought? Maybe. Not, maybe. Yeah, I'll that's what I thought. It. it was like, oh, my, my biggest amount of research, game. my biggest amount of research has been drinking it. Yeah, exactly. So I, hey, it worked. Hell yeah, it did. Uh, so I guess that's a good place to start. Hey, what's up, everybody? Yeah. Welcome to the Hypothetical Comedy Podcast. I am Funky Sam Medina. And I am Athena Rodriguez. And we're here with comedian Ivan Durham. What's up, Ivan? Hey, what's up, guys? How are you? Good to see you. Yeah. Good to see you, man. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah it's been a while. Hell yeah, it has been a while. <laughs> Speaking of music, <laughs> that's a good band, I too. I help myself. <laughs> Hell yeah. Just don't go see him in concert unless you want to hear some political views that you don't want to hear. Dude, that guy went full on. Oh, he did. It's crazy. Oh, dude. Eyebrow rings, McGee. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we're talking about different things, but that's all right. That's no, all no, right. yeah. Aaron Lewis had the eyebrow ring. Yeah, he went fucking hardcore Republican from stand, right? Yeah, yeah no, he did. And yeah. he even like he even like talks about it. Uh, on stage, I saw I saw Stained open up for Corn in 2021, last almost last year, two years ago, and oh, oh yeah, wow. half ago, whatever. And he was just like, uh, "What did he say?" He said, "I don't know." He was just talking shit about California between songs. It was really funny, and just talking oh, shit about Gavin sure. Newsom, and it was just you know, he just the way he it is, the way he is, it's, it's hilarious, and it's like you know, you got to go for the music, not for the politics these days. Oh, no, no, for sure. <laughs> actually, embarrassingly, I actually saw Stain three times in high school. Oh, I saw Stain so many times in between. Okay, good. I don't feel so bad. Okay, when Dysfunction came out, I thought yeah. it was like the greatest thing I'd ever heard in my life. I agree. Uh, right, I that agree. album like changed my whole year of high school, dude. We drove. My buddy who got me, he, my buddy worked at, this is how old I am, he worked at Blockbuster Music. Remember when that was a thing? Oh, oh yeah. shit, what? So my buddy would get, uh, he was like the guy that had graduated high school, like, couple of years ago but was still hanging out with high school kids but he was like he worked at the blockbuster music at the mall and he had a car and he always had weed so i was like this is the coolest guy i've ever met in my life and he could buy, and he could buy beer probably <laughs> oh for sure and so, and so yeah. it's my buddy steve to this day is one of my good friends but uh, i actually introduced him to his wife now he's married with two kids but um but yeah so my buddy steve would get these free promo cds and he was like dude this band's awesome. They just got signed to Limp Biscuits label. I'm like, cool. And I heard the opening track from Dysfunction. And I was like, this is dope. So yeah. we drove to Virginia Beach. We drove to Fayetteville. And then we saw them in Raleigh. And yeah, yeah. I think it was uh, Lars Ulrich from Metallica uh, had signed a band called Systematic. So it was Systematic. It was Puddle of Mud's first tour. 
when they just got like put together by the the label and then it was stained and stained was fucking awesome that's pretty awesome that's hella awesome yeah so you followed the them on that thing, you saw them three times in one tour i no, i saw them three times twice for dysfunction and then the second time was when break the cycle just came out the second album. nice dude Which you know, i didn't i mean that, that one was okay you know how much i love them uh so dysfunction came out i think i was in high school too maybe not maybe a little older i don't know 98 like, i want to say it came out it was like yeah like 98 99 something like that right yeah i went on my aol dial-up to stained.com <laughs> of course <and> you did <laughs> of course right they were Amazing. selling they were selling their first album which never went on a record label they tormented only, right it was only in uh they only sold it in person yeah tormented and i tormented. bought it That's a good i one bought too. it off stain.com uh when i had this fun when i bought this function i love this is like a nerd off because now i'm gonna be like <laughs> i actually i used to post on the nothingface.com forum because that was my favorite new metal band oh, i don't know if wow. you remember not different nothing face they're from yeah. dc yeah they were tbt records they're great the lead singer died a while ago super super cool dude but uh, my my uh, screen name on their message board was Mud Shoveler, <laughs> which was uh, a stained okay. reference. Uh, okay, okay, you win. Two dorks in the same universe, baby. You win. Okay, you win. No, damn it. I was hoping I lost that one. That makes me a little more sad. <laughs> you win, but lost. actually, you lose. <laughs> yeah, the fact that you feel better, you know, you're like, oh, God, I'm definitely not as bad as I've been. Like, oh, man. I, no, that's funny. Hey, so, Wait, uh, so you saw him in California then, right? What's that? You saw him in Cali? I'm oh, yeah. I, I haven't seen anybody outside of Cali, I don't think. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people, but I haven't seen been any concerts outside of California. Hell, yeah. Hell yeah. Hey, you brought up North Carolina. Uh, what's it like growing up out in that area? Um, it, was, uh, it was interesting. So we were, were probably the first Latinos on our block. So uh, we grew up in Durham, specifically where I'm from. It's where Duke University is. But Durham is uh, painfully white and a little bit racist in some pockets and then really racist, depending on the affluent kind of Duke students can be really racist. But then it's really um, uh, like middle class to well-off black community. So it's a really strong black community. It's where Black Wall Street kind of started. But there was hardly any Hispanics when we got there. So my dad got a job there in 1991. So I was like in fourth grade and there was no Latino people, no Mexicans, nothing. And then by the 96 Olympics, when they built the infrastructure for the Atlanta Olympics, a lot of Latinos stayed. So by like that time I was graduating high school, there was like, instead of like me, my sister and two Mexicans, there was like <laughs> 20 Mexicans, 10 kids from El Salvador, a couple of Guatemalans, <laughs> this girl from Colombia, but like, we all knew each other. But it was like, <laughs> You guys there had a was club. some representation there. And then, like, by the time I moved out here to L.A. three years ago, it went from when I was a kid, there was two Mexican restaurants, the good one and then the not so good one. Oh, damn. And then by the time I left, there was, like, a pupuseria on every other, like, big area block. And it's like, that's not even Mexican food. Like, even the Salvadorans <laughs> started doing their pupuseria. thing. So, like, yeah. So, I have, like, black friends who are like, hey, y'all want to get pupuses? And, like, <laughs> like me. Growing up, like, you just didn't hear that shit. Like, well, I got made fun of for the shit that I brought to school. You know, when your mom packs you, like, bean burritos and shit like that, like, I would get clowned for that shit. So, like, to see to see that progress, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's really awesome. Um, I guess the first follow-up to that is, uh, what brought your dad and your family uh, to North Carolina in the first place? 
So it's actually crazy. So my parents, they're both, um, they're both Mexican. They were both technically born in El Paso, Texas. And I say technically because they were born at a time where you can just like pop over the border, have your kid in America and go back to Mexico and keep doing your thing. So my grandparents basically had my dad in the States so he could get papers and went right back to living their Mexican lives in Mexico. And my mom's parents did the same thing. So my parents grew up in Mexico but with American citizenship. So by the time it came to high school, they decided to use their citizenship. And because they're right where El Paso, Texas is, my dad's from Guadalajara, my mom's from Juarez, Chihuahua, but they basically found themselves going to the kind of the same high school. And the story goes that my dad basically was going home to help my uncle Ruben with his math homework. He saw my uncle Ruben's pretty sister, which was my mom and fell in love. And they became, you know, they've been together over 40 years, you know, the old typical Mexican love story. But my mom taught my dad English because she was, she learned English a little bit before him, but they went through high school together. They got into college together. My mom ended up getting a degree in teaching. She's a teacher. Mm-hmm. My dad ended up going like the crazy extra mile and got a PhD in reproductive physiology. So my dad ended up being like an andrologist, which he does male infertility. So basically like if you're a dude and you're shooting blanks and your wife's not getting pregnant, you go see my dad. You know what I mean? So like that that's his, spe- his specialty, right? So once he finished his postdoctoral training for the USDA um, for to do his PhD, the first job offer he got, because he was doing in vitro ser- ser- fertilization in sheep for the government. And this doctor read some peer-reviewed paper he did and said, can you do that in humans? And my dad was like, I can try. And this doctor just happened <laughs> to live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, so he brings this like Mexican kid fresh out of college to do these because my dad's a genius, but he discovered, and this is real nerdy, but he discovered, this is my dad's claim to fame, that you could freeze ram semen and keep the quality of it indefinitely if you cut it with aloe vera gel. So it keeps the viscosity and the quality, right? Like who fucking thinks of this? But my dad, right? like, he's yeah. Dr. Sperm. Right. Yeah, my, my dad's the fucking spunk doctor, dog. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> fucking, he's I the original think, uh, Skeet Ulrich. You feel me? Like he's I think, I think there's a bit somewhere in there for you to talk about how your dad professionally knocks women up. Whoa. Okay. Okay. I don't know. See, I never, he also has a lot of Cosby sweaters. <laughs> he worded it weird. I think. Yeah. No, no. He does. That's really funny. Um, no, it, I actually thought of a few ways that could go too. Cause he ended up having four kids, but like he was always at work and like traveling and stuff. So I'm guessing like, I wonder if he just came and left a couple of fucking turkey basters. Oh oh I was like, he said X them over my mom on a lonely night. And need a child. He, he FedEx overnighted them to her. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Athena. Anyway, anyway, I apologize. I apologize. Continue. No, no, no. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. So, so the first job he got was in, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and my mom at the time was teaching high school. She was teaching a bunch of Mormons how to speak Spanish at a high school. So, you know, they they decided to move, and uh, we moved in '91. And my mom got a job at UNC Chapel Hill being a Spanish professor there. So then, yeah, man, we were there until I moved out here. Wow, that's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really, it's really um, fortunate that, you know, you're, you're, the guy discovered your dad and he kind of um, helped him out because he was a fresh out of college and everything. That's awesome. For sure. Are, you, are your parents still there? No. So they're actually, my dad is still working. My dad, he's a, he's a, he's an animal. He's like 70 and he still works like uh, every day, except for Sundays. 
So that my parents now live in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, wow. My dad has a yeah. My dad has a practice now called Jeans Fertility Institute, and him and his business partner, who's the uh, gynecology. Basically, my dad does male infertility, but if it's the woman that can't have the baby, then she sees my dad's business partner, Doctor Bracero, and they've been together for fifteen years in that in that fertility. It's actually one of the top ten uh, fertility clinics uh, in their in their field and in the Caribbean in that area. Like they have people flying in from all over there's a bunch of major league baseball players and politicians that go there for for their uh because they have such a high pregnancy rate of success which is pretty cool yeah. uh but yeah so my mom's retired she's there with him she's just lounging and doing her thing but my dad yeah he still works a, but yeah they're not, in Puerto Rico not a now. shabby life no no they, they, they they're living the dream dude love oh, conquers yeah. all man i'm telling you love's a powerful thing yeah, Absolutely. they aid creation if you think about it they aid creation so that's like top Top of the line, good deeds. They're doing. Humanity. They're doing the Lord's work. Oh my! They really are. <laughs> um, so, growing up in North Carolina, you said that there were a lot of racist people. Did you experience racism towards yourself? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's like a daily thing. But you got to remember. So, we technically, my trajectory was when my dad got the the college thing where he was doing his postdoc, and we moved to, uh, to Idaho where he didn't think. I basically was in kindergarten in El Paso as my dad finished his, his degree. And then he moved us to Dubois, Idaho for second and third grade while he finished his postdoctoral training in Idaho. Tons of racism there. That was like Mormon central. Just that was the first racism I ever experienced. There was no black people. So they would call us the N-word, which was really weird. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> like white Mormons would call us the N-word. And with it's a, like with they, just twang, like they just had to fill that void. They just had to find somebody to call that to. Right. Well, and also there was a couple of other uh, Mexican kids who were uh, children of like, because Mexi- obviously Idaho has a lot of potato farms, right? Yeah. So the one closest to where we went to school was called Larson Potato Farm. But some of those migrant farm workers had children who would go to school with us and they were just darker skinned Mexicans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they were just darker. So like we would get lumped in with them because we're not white. So they would just all call us the N word, wow. which was really weird. But I never met black people at that point personally. I mean, I'd seen them on TV because I would watch like Fresh Prince of Bel Air and shit. And, like my mom, <laughs> I, no, for real. But my mom loved like Jackson Five. Like you know, like yeah. music was a part. So I knew, I knew who I knew in the pop black culture, people, right? right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I, but I just had never seen any. And in El Paso, Texas, it's like ninety percent Mexican American. So I didn't really know anyone there either. Wow. So then we go from there to like North Carolina, where like there was no Latinos. So it's just half white, half black, you know, a couple of Asian kids, but they kind of kept it themselves. You know, they were smart. They were safe. Uh, but like, for me, I gravitated towards my black friends because they liked me for who I was. They didn't call me names. They just kind of accepted me. They thought I was interesting. Uh, I had some white friends, but the white friends that I had were, you know, like the white kids that think they're black. <laughs> <laughs> so like, if I had like 20 white friends, half of them thought they were black. Dang. And then the other half were like on my soccer team or like neighbors and shit, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, but that was a everyday thing for sure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy though. I, I, I don't really feel like I've experienced it. You know, people talk about it and stuff and it's just, it's just crazy to me that people are like that and, and people have to go through that, you know, it's just, it's, it's nuts. Yeah, and, very, and, and it goes, like, all over. Like, example, I'll give you, like, a few examples of how racism specifically in North Carolina is kind of funny. So I remember one time I went to a kid's house 
there was like a birthday party for the kid, blah, blah, blah. I went with a bunch of other kids. And then all of a sudden, his dad sees me. He makes a face. I instantly feel like something's wrong. He whispers something angrily to the mom. And then next thing I know, the kid's like, oh, my mom says I can't play anymore. Will you call your mom to pick you up? And nobody else had to leave. And this is like 10 minutes after I show up. So like, I already know what's up. My mom's like, when I call her, she's like, okay, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. They said that there's no one's playing anymore. I got to go. They said to come pick me up. She's like, okay, I'll come get you. So she picks me up. And I remember her being like, hey, don't worry about that. But you can't play with him anymore. So that was kind of her protecting me. Yeah. But it was basically the guy didn't want to have a, a Mexican kid in his house. So that was really weird. But then I remember experiencing racism, watching my dad be racist to my black friends. So I invited some people. Dude, I, and I love my dad. He just didn't know any better. Yeah. But like I invited some friends over. One of my friends was black. And my dad was just grilling me about who this kid was. Where Who's he? Well, I've never seen you play with him. Like, where does he live? Because we lived in a nice neighborhood. So he's like, where do you, does he live around here? And it's like my friend, Sheon. I'm like, yeah, he lives over the street. He's like, he lives here? And I'm just like, why are you so dumb he about lives it? Here? And my sister was like, yeah, dad's an asshole sometimes. Like, yeah, you shouldn't <laughs> think that way. Like, my sisters have been woke before it was woke or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's cool. Or I love how woke is just not being racist. Like, my sister's <laughs> really woke, man. No, but just like the basic just not seeing race. So it's like, for me, I, I, I've seen someone be a racist dad, but then I've seen my dad kind of be the racist dad. Yeah. yeah so but also at the like, same time, like you said, there's not a lot of um, other than Hispanics in El Paso, right? So your dad spent a lot more time in Mexico and El Paso in his life than anywhere else at that point. And that's an amazing point because you're right. And I just now realized that my dad had never been around black people either because you're, you dude, that's boom. Oh. You should be a therapist. Dude, right. I've never now been call your therapy, dad and tell me you love like him. This, this is, I'm in. Now call your dad and tell me you love him. Do it right now on the podcast. I, I actually, I, do, I did that yesterday, uh, but I, I'll do that again today. But it's so funny, dude, because that's really a brilliant thing that you just said, because one, I never re- realized that. And two, my dad ended up at being asked to be on certain like boards and PTAs and things where they were trying to kind of advance black and Latino education. And my dad was like the token Latino guy, right? But he would have to work with a lot of the local black leaders and he would just not get along with them. And I remember hearing him say shit like, I I taught myself English. Like, what's your excuse? You people speak the language and you're not, you know, because his issue was, why aren't we getting the same amount of dollars as black students? We need twice the, the work, twice. And their thing was, no, we're all in this together. Blah, 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 blah. But my dad just didn't know how to deal with that. And I now realize because he was in Mexico. Then when he was in college, he went to Texas A&M, or sorry, University of Mexico and Saul Ross, which is like all, and he was, you know, he's doing basically what he did was reproductive physiology. It's all kind of animal and animal science. So it's a lot of rednecks, all white. So it's like, he just didn't have any experience. And in Idaho, he definitely didn't have any black coworkers. So yeah, I think you're right. I That's never realized crazy. that. Then, it's a double culture you know, shock, though. You're and then right. how old is he, right? And he has to learn a whole new culture, or whatever the case. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. That's cool, yeah. though. Um, so you did you start doing comedy when you're in North? You did right in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I always knew I wanted to do it, and like I actually there's there's a there's a video on YouTube from 13 years ago. Oh, wow. And I jokingly say that that's the night that's the night that I should have started comedy. But it was like two of my uh, a coworker of mine had a, a comedy thing running in Chapel Hill called Raw Comedy Product. 
and some buddies from work went and it was me and this guy, this waiter named Rick. And both of us were like, Oh, we're, we're going to do it. And the guy said, if you guys get, if you guys get the courage to sign up, I'll put you up, I'll put you up. And we both signed up. And for some reason, the guy didn't call me. He called yeah. everyone else, but me, but this guy, Rick, my buddy, Rick got to go up, had a good set. He ended up doing it for like a few more times and never really did it again. And we're still friends to this day, but I was randomly just looking up raw product comedy on YouTube like a few months ago last year. And I saw it and someone taped that whole show and it's my buddy Rick doing comedy. And I'm like, oh, oh fuck, that was 13 years ago. If I would have got called up, that technically would have been like what started it. But I always kept it in my back pocket where I'm like, I'm going to do it one day. And I just never found the opportunity to. And then as soon as I realized I was going to move out here, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I just started doing the, the Dirty Bull open mic right before I moved out here. Oh, so you just started doing comedy right before you came out here. Yeah, it was actually weird. So Xander and I came to L.A. just to visit my sister. And then I surprised her and we got engaged. I proposed to her Aww. June 10th, 2019. Thank you. Here in Baldwin Hills. And uh, it was really great. Uh, I'll send you guys a video. It's actually really funny. Um, but uh, I caught Just put it on YouTube. It's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, so I, I put it on. Uh, I, I just did it. And then uh, that night went to the, the comedy store to see Kill Tony. It was June 10th. And uh, after I saw that, and I kind of just saw so many people go up and just eat shit. I mean, granted, it's Kill Tony. It's one minute. But this is before the pandemic. This is when it was in the main room at the comedy store, when it was at its peak. Hell yeah. And there's like hundreds of people outside signed up and shit. But uh, I saw it and I was like, oh, I'm doing that as soon as we get back home. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we got home, I found they were uh, doing an open mic. The only thing, my, my thing was like, I was kind of known in downtown as being a chef. Like people knew who I was. So when I started doing open mics and I would tell people, People like my buddies would show up to watch me just eat dicks. Like there was like, it was a novelty of like, oh, this fucker's going to go. Cause like the Dirty Bull open mic is really cool. Cause it's in Durham, but a lot of the Raleigh comics come through and sign up and they work out on their way to Chapel Hill. Oh. So it's like this like centralized. So it's a lot of really good comics. Sam Mazzani would go up like, like a lot of comics that are now in New York and doing cool shit. Uh, Wolfgang Hunter, who I met there and like, yeah, Aaron Ransom. There's a bunch of really good comics that I remember they were just doing the damn thing that are now in, in bigger cities. But it was cool because like the guy that would do it, his name's actually Rob Schneider, uh, not that one. That's actually the name of his Facebook. It's Rob Schneider, not that one. Yeah, yeah, but it's in it's in a brewery and he would just he would put me up every time I would sign up and and that was really cool. And then my buddy Kyle Kimber who's the one that kind of pushed me to sign up and would like keep me and sign up for me when I was running. For is that, work. is that the guy that I know, Kyle? Yes. Did you? Yes, yes, yes. So nice. he moved out to LA too. And now he's doing it. He's doing it full time. Like he's going up like all the time. Like he's in the mix. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's, but he's, he's in LA. I really liked him a lot. Yeah. Kyle's great. He's, he's killing it. And one of the things that I really, my goal was, I just want to go up here so that like I do my first open mics here around people that I know want to see me eat shit, right? Because, and, and not like in a bad way, but it's funny to see your buddies fucking suck at something, right? And like, I, I'm just someone like, I have a level of confidence with my cooking and like people, I had a, you know, a reputation for me that was like a good one with the food thing. But like, I just was obsessed with comedy and I'm like, I knew that I had to do it. And I knew that it was going to be ugly, but I wanted the ugly part and it's still ugly, but like, I wanted the ugly part to first be 
around my people. Yeah. And not like people in LA who don't know me from a ham sandwich, if that makes any sense. No, absolutely does. It's funny because you mentioned Kill Tony and a lot of times people go, Oh, you know, they go, why did you do your comedy here for the first time? And they go, Oh, I wanted to do it. I saved, I waited, I waited my first time for this show. And Tony's like, why would you do that on the internet in front of millions of people when you could have just done it at an open mic in front of 10 people? You oh, know, oh you for sure. Shit. You can eat shit regardless. Oh, for sure. And there was two mics I would do. So the Dirty Bull open mic was at a brewery. It was bigger and they would have the bigger comics. It's a bigger room. But then this, this girl, Deb Aaron, this comic named Deb Aaron, she's open for like Mike Kaplan and, um, what's his name? It's, uh, Kurt Bronner too. He's really funny. And Matt Bronger. She's open for a few comics, but, um, she runs Dirty Bull. Uh, sorry. She ran a, uh, Hunky Dory was, it's called like a, it's a record shop and a head shop that sold beer, but it was like downstairs. It was like that 70 show kind of basement with like records. It literally looked like the, the, that 70 show basement. Oh. And it would be at most 10 or 12 people signing up and they were all comics. And it was quiet as a fucking pin when you would be in there. And it's like, so when it was bad, it was really bad. Oh. And I remember just kind of working up and I would like get nervous and throw up before and after um, uh, but yeah but that was yeah it was it was it was ugly nice Dang. i never i never got that nervous but i got pretty nervous before you never thrown up before or after no i don't think so no oh wow just That's on crazy. stage verbally <laughs> <laughs> i get That's super anxious nervous i don't get <laughs> nervous i get like like my whole body starts trembling but uh you know, I get, I, I power through it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Sweating yeah, profusely. <laughs> that still happens every time for you? Every time. Yeah, I still get sometimes cool. really nervous too beforehand, even if it's like a small show. I think I'm just That's so crazy. excited and I'm ready to have a good time and I know they're going to have a good time. And the nervousness is, gosh, I hope I don't let them down. Like, <laughs> even though oh, I have wow. Like it's so weird. That's so funny. How wait? Do you have the same perspective? Do you think that way of the crowd too? Because Athena, like for me, what when I hear you say that, it's like Athena, almost like um, it's almost like you feel like it's your duty to, like you say, to make like it's almost like you're coming from mm-hmm. a nurturer. It's like I want you guys to feel okay. Like you almost want to give yeah. them a big verbal hug. Yeah. Okay, Sam. Do you feel that way, or what's not? The audience to not you? that direction with it. Mine is more like, um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fuck up. I'm going to do shitty or whatever, you know. Oh, you're kind of more in your own head? I'm in my own head, yeah. Okay, wow. So it's weird. This is probably not a surprise. I have to to bring myself down to earth sometimes. Just go, you know, they're here to have fun. They're here to have fun. Dude, there's a Zoom show. Oh, wow. So I was asked to be on the Zoom show because they thought I was really funny. You know, I, I, I did their open mic. And they're like, hey, we do a show. We went to on our show, you know, you're really funny. And there was a lot of people in the zoom and I was getting really nervous. And then I just, I told myself, you're a special treat. You're a special treat. You're here. Like, because you're a special treat these people. So just like, don't worry about it. You know, you're going to be fine. They're going to love you. But yeah, I get really nervous. That's great. No. Well, I, I, I gotta say this one. I would love to have more of that for me. So I don't get anxiety like that kind of anxiety. For me, it's a physical thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a puker. But um, but I actually, there's moments in my normal life where I think I should do that and be like, hey, like, you you know, kind of push yourself a little bit mm-hmm. in the feel good about yourself column and not the 
fuck this, fuck this. What am I doing? What am I doing thing? Wow, that's interesting. I just do it to balance the other side of it. Yeah. To counteract. Wow, it's autopilot for me. It's unless yeah. like the other time, like recently, uh, we have a, I, I'm working at a new place now in Long Beach called Long Beach Beer Lab. And they do a mic. And I, I just did it recently, like a week or two ago. And uh, it's a riff mic. Oh, you know? so, nice. Right. But I remember doing your riff mic a few times and just I'd never really done it other than with you. So one cheers and kudos. That was I was prepared. Thanks yeah, to you. That, that was, was awesome. Fun, and that was fun. Um, but I, I remember just pulling a prompt and it was like a mistake that you've made. And I just was like, oh, moving to L.A. It just kind of went on a rant <laughs> for my three minutes. But I realized because my buddy Andy Ryder, who's a super funny comic, he runs a shot of the Hollywood Improv. But we met. He's from Charleston, South Carolina. But we he moved uh, out to L.A. as well. Uh, we met out here. But um, he came down to do that mic with me and he went on right after me. And uh, we were just kind of like, it was funny how different we are. But I, I saw his style and he's so methodical that he thinks about almost everything he's saying. And for me, it's like, it just, the mouth goes open and it's just like, blah, 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 <laughs> it's nonstop and then it's over. And I don't remember <laughs> most of what I said. It's just, and then people are like, okay, it worked or it was whatever. <laughs> but it's it's almost like I'm not in my own head, but I'm not even thinking. It's a weird kind of blackout, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, have that. I developed this thing when I do comedy. I'm almost able to coach myself in my own head while I'm talking. Like I can Whoa. like I like while I'm like physically like telling a joke. I can be like, okay, what am I going to tell next? Like, how is this doing? You know, is this are they are they um, liking this or you know whatever? Um, should I do this joke? Should I do this joke or whatever? Um, but I can do that. I do that. I, I I do kind of coach myself in my head while I'm while I'm doing stand up. Do you do you run your sets in front of like a mirror or to yourself around the house at all? Yes, I do around the, around the house to myself. Do you can you double the can you do like the double voice in those scenarios or are they not necessary? It's not necessary like that because there's no okay. Yeah, huh. not, actually, before me, I'm just practicing. Because I've never actually done that where I can coach myself in my head. But whenever I've tried to run it around the house to myself, I have a second voice that's like, yeah, this I is guess. fucking stupid. What are you doing? This is dumb. You should be <laughs> doing laundry or like, you go, go write it down. Like, you know, something about the repetition. And I've actually heard a few comics talk about it. Jeffrey Burner was one. I saw an interview with him and other comics talk about it. But there's something that is, um, there's a disconnect. Something about the way my brain processes the comedy in general and how I, I want to do it is the idea of telling the same joke over and over and over and over again. It starts to feel kind of like a lie. Yeah. And I, I, I find that I'm not good at selling it because it's not. It's it's almost like I, I know that it's not the first time I'm telling it. Yeah. And there's like a dis there's a, almost like a disingenuous feel to that that makes me almost like not be able to do it that way does that make any sense at all like, i don't know if no yeah. absolutely absolutely like 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 i have a bit like i i've done it a billion times or whatever not a billion, you know like, it's a bit that i like oh i have a mexican trump supporting cousin i call him tacos carlson right <laughs> like and i i've worked that in so many different sides I've, I've closed with it i've done little stories with it whatever i've done shorter versions of it but like it's one of those where like i i don't really consider it anymore even when i do go up and do it because it's like i know it's not like 
I just, it's, it's been done for me so many times Yeah, that mm-hmm. it's just like, I, but then the idea of writing new stuff and working it out and stuff like that, that's like kind of like the way to do it. That's been the part that for me is the toughest just because of, you know, how far we are and just LA being a fucking chaos and shit like that. So that's why I wonder when, like, when you run stuff yourself in your house, do you run new material like to yourself ever? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I recite a lot of my stuff like when I'm in the shower because I'm, I'm by myself and I have time to kind of think and like abs- uh, absorb it a little bit. Right. And so I just like, I'll be in the shower and I'll just be like, just telling my jokes. And then sometimes I'll think of a tag. I'll come out of the shower and I'll be like, Hey, what do you think of this tag? You know, to, to her. Oh, you run, you run bits by it. Okay. That's cool. oh, all the time. All the time. Like yeah. we're always like, Hey, I have this idea, you know, this and this or whatever, or you like, we'll think of something funnier and, and then we'll help each other kind of workshop it. Mm-hmm. Um, something like that. Yeah. Can you tell what she thinks is funny by what she says? Like not, not even if she laughs or doesn't laugh. Does that, like, do you ever like, can you just tell if she actually thinks it's funny? Yeah, I feel like I feel like when we tell jokes, like when we run jokes by each other, we're not like laughing, you know, we're not like laughing yeah, at we're it. We're pretty honest. We're just like we know that if we were just like puffing up smoke up each other's ass, it's not gonna like, yeah. make us grow. We have to have the hard truth with each other. And sometimes I'll say, eh, I didn't like it too much, but I mean, you could try it. You could still try it even yeah. if you don't like it. Uh, because you never know what's gonna hit. Just because I don't like it doesn't. Although, work. although this one time, uh, like when we first started, when I first started doing comedy, like maybe a year into my comedy, oh my I ran this joke by her. <laughs> she said, "No, that's not good." And then I did it still at the improv, and it got a huge laugh. Nice. I was like, I thought that you know, you said that joke didn't work, and she's like. Oh, well, you didn't tell me the same way you said it on stage. It's true. He didn't. That's a good point, though. That, that, I mean, that, 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 those things can be, they can exist in the same, I think, in the same, in the same planet, though. Because you, you also probably, in, in the moment that it got a big laugh, you were probably in the moment, you were in the zone. There, a lot of stuff had kind of preceded it where they were riding that wave, and it just like, boom. It was probably like a part of like a bigger punch. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, it, it was, it had a lot of fatty tissue <laughs> on it, before, you know, like, yes, it added flavor, but uh, at this point, it was just hanging on. Hell yeah, it was. That's so funny. Hanging I always know when something's kind of funny, and I should write it down when uh, my fiance Xandra says, I hate you. I miss oh. her. She's great, I but that's, if, I, if I'm TikTok. like, if I say something, or I do a pun that just like, I like to say a little too good. It's just like, oh, how did he come up with that? Because I, yeah, I mean, I'm just an idiot. I never stop talking. <laughs> but I just have this weird, I'm probably autistic, but like she just will say a word and I'll do a word association thing. And sometimes some of them are really funny. So like, like one time she, I said, we should do this. She was like, no, no, I think we should take this bus because then we're going to do this. And I'm like, ah, smart gal, smart gal Kanakis, right? Which is, <laughs> I think is funny. Because it's a stupid thing on Zach Galifianakis. She just said, I hate you. Right? <laughs> but I know that that's funny because she said, I hate you. But then when I say something that's not funny whatsoever, she's like, you know, you're not as funny as you think you are. <laughs> and, I, and I think that that's the best, the best partner. Because it's that's just a straight up like D not. Like you're just getting stamped. Like, that's a dud. Like let's go back to the cutting room floor. You know, that keeps you, that keeps you humble. <laughs> oh no yeah life life keeps me humble 
Too yeah. many L's to count, dog. Leave it insecure and humble. <laughs> yeah, dude, for real. Oh my goodness. <laughs> hey, so did you come out to Southern California because of comedy, or was comedy like just an ad? No, 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 God, no. No, I, I did the mics because I knew that I was going to eventually do mics in LA just because it's LA. And I, I, knew, I just like, I knew that I was going to be doing comedy in general, whether it was because the, the moving to LA thing could have actually fell through at some point and I would have already had done mics and I would just continue to keep doing them. Right. Yeah, so right. like, I knew I was going to continue to do comedy. Um, the pandemic changed a lot of that because it's like, then zoom happened, obviously the pandemic happened. And then, you know, right. When we moved here. So that's when I was able to do the zoom stuff. And I met you guys and all that stuff. And yeah. I also went from that to going when they started doing like the local LA stuff. Like there was a like, horrible bringer show that I did um, at the place called the Lexington, but it's like this ex football player from the 49ers. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, I know who and what Oh, you know. About. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to oh, be yeah. I could beat the shit out of me. Uh, but uh, he's been called out many times. He's still doing that stuff, by the way. Oh, yeah, I, uh, totally. he's, he's got one in Torrance now. Uh, and what's funny is my dumbass still went. Oh, dang. I, dude. I know. No, and this is, this is more embarrassing because this is like recently, like this was last year. But it's because Mark Seltzer, I'll give him a shout out. Like Mark Seltzer, uh, the old dude with the long hair, he just, he's a nice guy. And I, I didn't have anything to do that day. And he didn't tell me really what was going on. But he was like, hey, I got stage time if you want to come down to Torrance. You live close to Torrance, don't you? Because everything is so far from us in San Pedro that if you tell me anything within like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I'm there. Oh, it's just nice. the one hour and a half bullshit. It's hard for me. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm there. And then I show up and it's one of those. And I literally had to pay like, 20 bucks for myself to get in 20 for Zandra. There was a fucking infinite line by the time the person that was supposed to call me, uh, what's her name? Carol Newell. I think it was. Oh she, yeah. I was on the list. I've, I've become pretty good friends with Carol over the, over the past. I don't, season, she doesn't so. know who I am, nor should she, but I mean, I've been around her, nor should she, I've been around her and like, I'm just not one of her people. Yeah. And I've met her a bunch of times and like her and uh, the other guy that comes out from Vegas, uh, Kelly Lee Williams, like they're, they're super cool. And I remember she used to come to the Lexington um, once too, because she used to would book for that. So Mark Mark's list was done. I'd been waiting around for like an hour and a half at that point. The booze was like $8 for a beer. So I'm like already yep. probably like a hundred bucks in the hole at this point. <laughs> and I'm just like, because I mean, I'm just sitting around like an asshole. I'm like, and Xander's like, oh, uh, want to grab another beer? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And like just watching another $20 bill, just why? And it's like, oh, you should leave him a nice tip. They're really nice. I'm like, fuck. So it's like I'm spending 16 bucks on beer and tipping two bucks on each beer. And in my head, I'm like, this is so stupid. It's not worth it. But I'm like, no, I'm going to stick it out. And then Mark's list is done. He was like, oh, sorry, I'll, I'll get you on Carol's list. And then Carol, I'm waiting and waiting and waiting another hour. And it's like, all right, this is our last comic for the night, or at least the last person on my list. And then I'm going to pass it off to Ebony. And she's going to have a round for the late night mic. That means there's a third mic that starts at midnight, mind you. Wow. So my dumb ass, now I'm sitting there licking my fucking eyebrows. I'm like, oh, here we go. I've already rehearsed my whole five-minute set. At this point, I'm sick of it. I'm just like, I'm ready to, let's go. And then she's like, coming up next, my last comic of the night, big hand for Miranda, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, fuck me. Oh. At this point, I've been there two and a half hours. So uh, Xander and I, needless to say, we went home. I did not get to go up. But uh, but yeah, no. So no, I did not come out for comedy. I uh, came out for restaurant work. My brother-in-law has a restaurant in San Pedro. And 
we were going to open a bunch of locations with him. And then the pandemic happened and we got laid off. But I found that, you know, with nothing to do, uh, so I would do the Zoom mics and then I would go and just try to find uh, whatever, you know, shit I could get, which wasn't a lot, man. Like the pandemic, I mean, I did a couple of shows. I did a therapeutic noise show, which was cool at a place called Alex's Bar in Long Beach. And it was a bunch of drunk bikers. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm sure you guys have been in those crowds where like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, It becomes like a sound effect. background (laughs) so how did you uh how did you get involved in the food game in the first place so actually i just remember being a fat kid and my cousins (laughs) would play shirts and skins soccer and they would always make me skins because they would laugh at my little titties (laughs) jiggle i know so i just got sick of fucking getting glad like picked on playing soccer with them so i would just go inside and watch tv and then my grandma would be like hey if you're not going to be here just watching tv like come in here and help me out. So she would have me like chopping vegetables and rolling tortillas and stirring the pot. So, but then when it came time to feed all of us, I got like the, like all the men would get served and then the women and then the kids would get their plate. And I would always get a slightly bigger plate than like my bigger cousins. So they would be clowning me, but then I would get like the big bolillo and like the nice big piece of like chicken. So then I knew that I had a connection with food. So then um, I basically dropped out of college much to the chagrin of my parents, I was supposed to go to law school. So I was at the time I was pre-law, I was doing criminal, criminal justice, uh, bachelors. I dropped out and I, uh, decided to wash dishes at a sports bar because, uh, that's, that's what my friend told me to do. He was like a guy from high school that I went to, I was playing bar league poker. I needed a job. He was at the bar. I said, Hey, how you been, man? I went to high school with you. He's like, yeah, I'm good, man. I actually, I'm one of the chefs here. I was like, Oh, I've always wanted to be a chef. He was like, bullshit. I was like, yeah, dude. He's like, well, I need a dishwasher. I guarantee you won't last a week. And I'm like, bet. So he hired me the next day, 725 an hour dishwasher. It was a place called Timeout Bar and Grill. And yeah, I washed dishes and I loved it. Then I got moved to Salad Station. And then I just kept on getting other jobs and getting a dollar more here, a dollar more there. And uh, yeah, and I just, Mm. eventually I would end up being the chef of, uh, you know, a few restaurants and and all that stuff. But no, man, I just, uh, I always just wanted to be around food. It's Probably one of the only things I've ever been really good at. That's incredible. Uh, what is your favorite? What is your favorite dish to make? Oh my god, I was just gonna ask that. No, you weren't. I was. I was so excited. <gasps> uh, so I, I'll break it down. It depends. I'm gonna break it down to three. One chilaquiles. <gasps> yeah. For sure, I make a great chilaquiles. My favorite is one the chilaquiles divorciados, which is half red sauce, half green sauce. Mm. And uh, and you can do, I like to make a chicken tinga, which is like a chipotle braised chicken. And I like to put a little bit of chicken tinga on top of my chilaquiles. Uh, and I, I'll do like, I, I do it a little bit different. So I'll do the crispy chips and I'll pour the warm salsa over the chips table side. Because that's how my cousin in Guadalajara taught me how to do it. So you get the warm sauce, but you get the crunchy chips. And then I'll do a, a mixture of, of Mexican cream, sour cream. With a little bit of lime juice, some tapatillo, and some salt. And it's like a tapatillo crema, pickled red onions, some cotija cheese, a little bit of queso fresco, because I like the two contrasts of the cheese, a little bit of cilantro, and that's it. And it's and it's one of my favorite breakfasts to make. And then for the southern stuff, I like to make biscuits and gravy. Oh, hell yeah. So I like to do like jalapeno mm-hmm. cheddar biscuits and a nice chorizo mm-hmm. gravy. That's one of my favorite things in the world to do. And then in the summertime, lastly... BLT, a perfect BLT, nice thick bacon, 
fresh heirloom tomatoes, salt, pepper, fresh herbs, and nice thick bread, some thick Duke's mayonnaise, nice lettuce, got to be iceberg lettuce, and, and just load that motherfucker up with bacon, cut it diagonally. Dude, I'm good. That's I'm good. I'm good to go. Those are my favorite things for sure. Uh, yeah, I will visit you this summer. Yes. <laughs> yes, please do, man. I'll, I'll come, come back for uh, for breakfast too. We're actually thinking <laughs> of making a uh, a trip for for Zandra's birthday coming up, so we should definitely uh we'll definitely see if we can come up north. Yeah, but uh, what about you guys? What's your favorite breakfast? Oh man, you know what? Uh, I have to admit that you kind of inspired my favorite breakfast. Because um, I don't know if you remember on Facebook that I was trying to figure out how to teach myself to make tamales. Yeah. And, um, I figured it out and they came out oh, amazing. Her tamales are incredible. I, I see told, pictures of them and they look perfect. Yeah. You told me that your favorite way was to deep fry them and then put Oaxaca cream. cream With on. the Oaxaca cream. You did it? Holy crap. Girl. Right? Next. I was my, like, my, oh my mouth is watering. I, I'm pretty sure that that was the year that I put on like 50 pounds or something. <laughs> I was eating them every morning. <laughs> like, Dude, yeah, that's no, real. Absolutely. No, man. Sorry. The best. And for me, the best is when I, we have an air fryer now, but the best, my mouth is literally watering. Yeah. There's this little Mexican guy that walks around San Pedro around our area and he just hear tamales, tamales. And this one has a cooler of the most amazing tamales, but he has some that are this red pork one, you know, classic. Yeah, yeah. But the pork is so fatty, it melts in your mouth. But I've been putting, put them in the air fryer and you take them even further and where they're like, they're almost hard. Like you can go like, tah, 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 tah. and then do the Oaxacan cream. And we have this hot sauce from North Carolina called Texas Pete. Oh my and that's goodness. been the new new because it adds like this vinegary kind of brightness. And it's been lately tasting to me like braised pulled pork with the Carolina vinegar sauce and a hush puppy at the same time. Wow. So when I can't get my barbecue hush puppy hot sauce fix, I just have a tamal in hot sauce and it tastes the same. Oh my goodness. But that's, that's the kind of food aesthetic that I love. So it's my Southern and my Mexican having like fuck babies in my brain. And I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to father. like put them on plates, dog. Oh my God, my dad. Dude, yeah. I am the turkey baster. <laughs> oh God, I swear to God. I'll put this Remulon right in my fucking hair, bro. Sperm does not go in your ear, estupido. <laughs> that is starter sauce, imbecile. Oh my goodness. It's actually a Remulon. <laughs> That's so stupid. That's so dumb. <laughs> All right, I might write that one down. That's good. Yeah, you better write that down before you forget it. Dude, did you ever take any classes? Room, did you ever take any classes or did you just kind of like learn as you went? Cooking classes? Yeah. No, dude, dishwasher train, a bunch of angry Mexicans and angry white guys and a couple of brothers. Yeah, just um No, man, I was I came up in the kitchens where everyone was still able to call you the F word and the R word and and it was everyone was on piss and vinegar, man. Like they would, we would clear the tickets and we would go out and smoke a joint and then come back in. And you know, some of the Mexican dudes would come in from their morning job and they would have a couple of beers just to get them going. You know, like it was it was one of those tough ass kitchens where like Thank the kind of I mean, you know, I watched Gordon Ramsay yelling at people on Hell's Kitchen and all the fucking people lose their minds. Like, oh, this is great. Like it doesn't feel great. Like that's <laughs> it doesn't feel good. Like. Well, they call it inspiration through degradation. It's 
So, but what, what ends up happening though, is you become really resilient. You become tough. You find a lot of strength that you didn't think that you had and you become more self-reliant, you know, and, and I'm, and I, I'm just, I I was lucky to have um, good parents, you know, but I, I put up with a lot of abuse in my, in my professional career, verbally, physically, emotional, gaslighting, some physical, like, I mean, the kitchens I came up with were tough and I have a lot of trauma that I unpack even now. And here's fucking something funny. I have found that one of the things that I lack as a chef and as a leader is the ability to crack the whip. And it's crazy because I'm almost too nice to my cooks. Like almost like overcompensated. So like if a guy's late five, 10 minutes, cause you know, he got the bus late or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh, it's cool, man. I remember I used to have to take the bus and I get it. Yeah. But then all of a sudden that guy's half an hour late. He doesn't give a fuck. And now it's like, well, it's because you fucking let it get to that point. You know, now he doesn't give a shit because there's no rules. Cause like, I'm trying to be the guy's buddy, but he doesn't need a buddy. He needs a fucking boss. And you're, and I, and you're I the hate manager, that though. Yeah. I don't think it should be that way. Well, if a guy's going to show up to work, every person, if a cook's going to show up to work and work their ass off 98% of the time and 2% of the time they're late or their dog died or their mom's sick, like I get it. And I've, I've worked for people where there was no tolerance. It's like, no, fuck you. Yeah. You let us down. And it's like, dude, fuck off. My mom, like, might get evicted, bro. Like, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's yeah. real life shit that people deal with that some employers are just like, hey, sorry, that's just the company policy. And it's like, well, dude, that's fucked up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, absolutely. so I, I, yeah, it, it's an industry that I really, uh, I hate to say that I, I can't wait to leave. Um, but I know it's always going to be a part of my, of my life, if that makes any sense. Like I can never leave it. Yeah. Well, no, I can leave it. It won't leave me, I guess. <laughs> there you Would go. Would you ever be a private? Are you a, like a private chef? I, I've done some caterings. My thing with the private chef thing is one, I'm in a really big city now in LA. The private chef thing I could have totally done back home, I think, because people knew me enough and, and the, my resume mattered because the restaurants that I worked with were, worked out were, were really nice restaurants in my hometown but out here i mean they think i'm you know cooking with bayou billy they're like oh what? i'm <laughs> fuck north care what like we've never heard of this place so la caterers are really high end they're they do you know it's, it's kind of a really big market where i would i could i could do it i don't know that i have the skill set for that i think a lot of that you have to really promote yourself you have to have a website. You have to be out there. You got to, as they say, you got to spend money to make money. True. So like I would have to do some like free client dinners and, you know, go and do like those food and wine events where like I'm just coming out of pocket to like feed people and give them a business card and be like, hey, call Ivan's events if you have a quinceanera, you know. <laughs> but, 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 but let's say Lupe calls for the quinceanera. Can you make the minus 500 people? I don't know that I can, right? I'm going to have to be like, Athena. I'm going to fly you down <laughs> for 500 people. Sam's working the deep fryer. Hell yeah. I got a Oaxacan guy that's making his own sour cream. Hell it's yeah. not my dad's. I promise. Oh my goodness. I'm kidding. Oh, wow. But if it was oh, your dad, that, 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 got, that got dark. It would be potent. No. Dang. no, no, no. Gross. No, no, no. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I have thought about that. No, I thought about that. Track. That would be cute. You and Zandra and a food truck. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, no, no. That was our initial dream. That was the dream. We had a lot of dreams. 
But, but oh, that, yeah, that got dark. Like, <laughs> he had a lot of dreams. For like Langston Hughes, baby, they just deferred. Like, hey, um, um, speaking of dreams, this might be a, like a weird question, but like, as a chef, is there something that you aspire to make? Like something that you're like, this is what I want to make before I die in my life. Ooh, that's a great question. Also, we've been talking about bull semen, so nothing could be weird after this. Oh, um, <laughs> all right, no, no, no more spunk talk. Like I a dream, you, uh, like a dream yeah. dish. Like a dream dish. So are you are you saying what what would I like to make myself, like my final meal on death row? Or what's like before no, like, like, like this dish? Like my Yeah, like your end all. This is the dish, dish that I want to be the known for. Like the big the cunning moment of your of your career. Ooh, man, that's a great question, Sam. Wow, let me think. I don't know if that exists though. Yes, actually there is. There's yeah, I never thought of that. No one's ever asked me this. There is actually, so there's a dish that my grandmother on my dad's side, his mother, my abuelita Lola from Guadalajara, she was from Leon, but she would make this dish. It's my dad's favorite. My mom could never learn to make it. Therefore, she never made it in their whole relationship. Even to this day, they're still married. She just doesn't make it because one, it's not as good. Every time she tried it, he was like, it's okay, but, and it's albondigas and chipotle and it's, ground beef meatballs and she puts rice inside so they plump in, in, in the broth but it she makes this um, she made rest in peace she made this like deep robust chipotle flavored broth and you would get this big mound of mexican red rice with a little you know the mexican red rice with the veggies yeah. set it in there the little peas and carrots if you're lucky some lima beans <laughs> so it would do the mexican red rice four or five big meatballs and a big ladle of the chipotle broth and then she would do like this smoky chipotle like salsa over the top. Wow. And and it's like mind blowing. I've only had it once in my life. It's like the movie Ratatouille where he just like has that bite in his whole brain, just like, ooh, <laughs> it sees his childhood. It's amazing. But um, I've never really made it for anyone other than my dad. And I made it for him once when I was in Puerto Rico with him. And he said it was delicious. He said it was not as good as grandma's, which is cool. But he said, I did a damn good job, sonny boy, which is like, that's, that's not, yeah, my dad's not a super affectionate guy. So that's one of the attaboys that I've kept in my pocket since then. But, but if I had to recreate a meal, like top chef dinner for the judges, final meal, I would definitely, that would be my, my entree. And I would try to do like my own grind of different kinds of delicious meats, maybe some short rib in there. I would get some really nice rice. Yeah, it would be uh maybe some Carolina gold rice. Damn, that's awesome. I'm just gonna cook for you guys. Let's do a dinner party. Let's go. Oh, All right, I'm excited about. Let's it. go. We're on our way. I'm ready. <laughs> I can dig it. I'll make us <laughs> Oh yeah, she makes really good cookies too. Um, you make good food. Period. I see your pictures does, all the time. Man. She does your, anything. Your pretty much anything awesome. she makes. She made mole for the first time. Amazing. Oh my god, I've never made it. It's so good. But I made it one good. time. I didn't do it um, like long enough for it to get super duper smoky, but oh man, Amazing. there's like a gazillion things in that too. In, in mole in general, like I, I've, I've so I've seen it made from scratch and I've watched a bunch of videos. The one time I've made it, so well, I'll tell you, my mom growing up would just buy a box of the pre-made mole mix. That's good, and too. then she and she would add Hershey's chocolate syrup because my dad likes it sweet. Holy crap. So I didn't grow up eating homemade mole. 
But then <laughs> when I was working at a restaurant, I had to do a dinner for this um, private event and they requested mole. So I, I got a recipe from my sous chef whose name was Gustavo, who's from Hidalgo. It was his wife's mole and it was delicious. But I'm just so used to a sweeter mole because of my dad liking it with Hershey's. So my dumbass went to the store and got Hershey's and I added it. And I'm watching my poor sous chef look at me like, ay, hermano, ay, hermano, no manches, hermano, ¿qué estás haciendo? Because he just was like, it was like pouring water on a robot's head. It just like, he couldn't process what I was doing to his like poor wife's fucking grandma's recipe of mole. Oh my gosh. And guess what? All the white people loved it. Yeah. It's so good. It has a richness. It's such a sweet flavor. And I'm like, yup, Hershey's. <laughs> but no, I know, I you know, know you're more <laughs> right. I want to have it a la mode. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's mole a la mode, a la mole, a la mole. Somebody's gonna do that. No, that's gonna happen. All right, we have we have our just. Oh no, that's not bad though, oh, dude. Oh my god, a chocolate abuelita flavored gelato. Yes, with mole flavors. Yes. So you do a, 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 a chocolate abuelita flavored gelato when you do like toasted pumpkin seeds, you do some chili threads, you do notes of like um, piloncillo, all the stuff that goes into mole. Mm -hmm. You could do toasted bread, like sugar bread or a shortbread cookie. That's a dude. It could be like a deconstructed play on like a mole ice cream. That's a good idea. Oh man, we just changed our lives. We just changed our lives. Hell yeah. We need, we need money. Let's open a restaurant. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for it. Makes money, it takes money to make money, like you just said. Oh yeah, that's yeah. I, amen to that. Well, that thing. That. We'll have to just uh, we'll have to like get a barbecue and just sit on the corner for a while so we can afford a building. Hey, that's how some people start, man. That's how. Yeah, no, that's true. Start. That's like the the up the, the startup. Hell yeah. How much can it cost to open a restaurant? You know, you know what? I'll go, I got to pay my cocktail tomorrow. Let me see what my balance is after I pay my yeah. Cocktail. All right. Well, if you want to open a restaurant <laughs> if, tomorrow, if there's know, any new commas that I did not see, <laughs> you're the first people I'm calling. Yeah, she could help you uh, make stuff, and I could uh, test it out. Well, pastry <laughs> chef, pastry chef, you're the maitre d' and oh, and yeah. security. Hell yeah! I double, I double a security. I just like I still work at Tommy like, T's. No, I haven't been there in like almost a year because my new job oh, working from home. It's oh just, right, you said it's that. just harder on my schedule. Yeah. No, no, that's wrong. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Do you have anything? Do you have anything you're working on? Anything coming up? Anything in the works? Uh yeah. So I actually uh, got well a couple of things. I decided I left my high paying chef job at the Whale and Ale where I was uh, doing comedy shows. I left my job because I had a kind of, I turned 40 on December 6th and I was like, all right, I'm working in an Irish pub. I'm making decent money, but it's like, I just was in the same place that I kind of left. I just, I felt like a, a dead end job. So I'm like, I'm going to go back to school. So I decided to get my high school transcripts and I was like, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get my hospitality management degree. Da, da, da. I got accepted to Long Beach city college. And then I realized when I started looking for my course planning bullshit, they don't have hospitality management as an option. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. They, I've already accepted it at the school. I'm literally about to finish my financial aid stuff, and it starts in February. They have culinary arts, which I have no interest in, and they have business administration. So now I'm like, fuck, what do I do? So then I decided, let me – well, I consulted my brain. I talked to my heart, and I was like, what do I really want? And I was like, well, I don't want to go to business school, and I don't want to go to culinary school. And I looked at what they did offer and I found one. I'm like, oh, 
that's what I really want to do. And that's where I want the next, because I'm 40 now. This is where I want my next half of my life to be. So I'm uh, enrolling in digital filmmaking. It's cool. And now I'm going to basically just focus my time on creating TV, movie, just video and film projects about the restaurant industry. So I want to bring, I want to bring attention to it. So we have better pay where, I mean, dude, minimum wage in my home state of North Carolina is still seven twenty-five an hour. Oh my. Like, how are we going to change that? If we're not fucking watching some, like I I just watched the menu. That was great. And then uh, people have been, you know, everyone loves the bear, but they're just now starting to be a little more grittier kind of insider baseball-y stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we lost uh, Tony Bourdain, you know, years ago. And I don't think anyone's really been able to fill that. Not, not that I'm going to, but like, that's that's an aspiration of mine is from a storytelling perspective i've seen so much shit and i've met so many people from all walks of life and they have great stories and they're very strong people and i think as the future and technology kind of start to squeeze out people in general as the door door DoorDash, uber eats i don't know about you guys but we sometimes stop thinking about food and food terms i used to be like what do you want for breakfast french toast uh do you want pancakes do you want scrambled eggs and now it's like what do you want for breakfast mcdonald's starbucks Duncan, like we, we think in like Uber Eats terms and not ingredients wow. anymore. And I think I that think I fear that. that. I fear that. Like dinner isn't dinner isn't turkey and gravy. It's Bonello's pizza or Jimmy John's. Like we're talking about food as restaurants and corporations and not as ingredients and meals. And I think that's a problem. And I think as Uber Eats becomes more and more unregulated and all these DoorDash apps and you know restaurants close and open. I feel what what better way to shed light on the things that can change by making things. People do not read books like they used to. They're all, it's all visual, man. TikTok, you know, where it's, it's a visual thing. So I think we can do it. 10, 15 minutes, short docs. Like I think it can be done. So that's kind of where my pivot's at. So I'm, that'll be my focus. And then uh, hopefully uh, doing a comedy show. I'm talking to that place called the Sardine in San Pedro. It's a punk rock bar. Uh, Chris Gethard did a comedy show there in Jonah Ray. Before the yeah. pandemic was doing some stuff there, but uh, hopefully they'll uh, do a, a weekly Thursday show, which I would like to host and put on. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of uh, where I'm at right now. That'd be super awesome! Mm-hmm. Hell yeah! Oh yeah. yeah! I like the idea of um, you being inspired by you know um, Anthony Bourdain and like his experience. And really, I, I know that a lot of people go, oh. I want to follow in that footstep, but really your inspiration and then putting your own experience and spin on whatever you create is going to make it that much sweeter because it it combines something that a lot of people recognize with your new, like, uh, I guess, new kid on the block kind of scene. Yeah, it's been your style. No, 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 for sure. Mm-hmm. And, that's and I think on a human really level, everyone everyone connects, I think, to stories like that, too. Like, I mean, Xander and I have had so many moments where, like, we were dead broke. And then she calls me from work after work, almost in tears. And I, I'm like, oh, my God, what's wrong? She's like, no, I just my last table was so nice. They tipped me in cash. We have 60 bucks. Like, I got dinner tonight. And like shit like that. It's like you put that on a screen. It will fucking resonate with people because mm-hmm. we have all been there. we've all been there and i think those are the kind of stories i think that go missing and i think that even in itself will make someone think twice about not leaving a tip right or leaving a shitty one you know what i'm saying yeah and i think the more you start doing that the more the more stones you turn uh i guess you could say the more things you'll find and the more inspiration you'll find i think oh for sure 
And yeah. really, I, I, like you said, and I, I'm like wage theft is huge, a huge problem right now. You know, the amount of Latinos I've seen that were working at restaurants that would work them overtime but not pay them overtime. Ugh. It's just like shit like that. I mean, it's so commonplace. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Like, California has way better labor laws. I, I'm just, I, you know, I can tell you that, but obviously you know that. But, uh, but I think just in general, like, the industry itself is, is uh, it's really damaged and broken. It's been for a while, and I would love to do whatever I can to kind of make it better, you know, awesome. somehow. Yeah, man. Hell yeah. I think so, too. I agree with you. I think you can do make a difference and make things better. Thank you. Oh, yeah. like Q, Q uh, Michael Jackson's Heal the World, huh? <laughs> with that being said hey thank you so much for joining us it's been really fun talking to you getting to know you a little more thank you for having me question before i let you guys go you let me go whatever uh you guys still doing the friday no friday? i stopped doing that maybe like two months ago or so i think in okay about that yeah it was it's a little hiatus people people you know it's tough for people to show up a lot because uh everybody's kind of getting their life back on track and mm-hmm. and getting back out in the world and stuff so you know it, the, the, we had about three weeks in a row where we just didn't do it because people didn't really show up and i was like Let's be done. <laughs> yeah. But it had no, a good no, run. That, it went almost no. three years. Yeah. No, that, like that was two and a half, 2.8, yeah. something like that. Yeah. We should do some kind of a reunion or something. Maybe if it's not like a weekly thing, like a a monthly or like a one-off or something like that. Yeah. I think it'll be more. I think if we do it uh, on special occasions, it'll be a little more special and people will show up. Yeah. Yes. No, no. I, I think I think you're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool. You want to uh, plug your social media? Uh, sure. Uh, it's uh, Ivan Durham on uh, Instagram. And although I, I don't use it much anymore, I probably will start using it again. Ivan Durham comedy on TikTok. I, uh, I I started that on a goof and then I my seventh video got seven million views. Oh, dang. Wow. And uh, I know uh, on that, it was me making an In-N-Out burger and it was a bunch of, a bunch of 15-year-olds sociopaths just roasting me. But um, <laughs> anyway. Whatever it takes <laughs> to get those views. Dude, but I got like like almost 13k followers out of it and just like i realized i was tap dancing for a bunch of children and i was like what am i doing so i don't use it anymore but i'm going to start using it again just as an outlet i think it'd be fun so yeah i've been durham comedy on tiktok and then i've been durham on all the uh, instagram and whatnot hell yeah that's awesome you can follow me uh, on funky sam medina or at funky sam medina across the board and you can follow me at she shines for you all spelled out no numbers um all over the place all over the place. And everything else is at a hypothetical comedy. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Thanks so much, Ivan. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Good seeing you guys. We'll talk soon.